the day on Ag News Daily. Sure, it's a concern. It's a concern for anybody who needs to eat or buy anything, right? When prices go up, we don't like it as consumers. I'll, I'll be a little bit contrarian and say that my outlook going into 2022 is that we may have seen most of the inflation already happen. Welcome to a, another Hashtag Market Monday episode. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by co-host Ashton Carr. And Ashton, we've got a lot of great things to talk about today. But I want to make a quick mention that we are sponsored by DPH Biologicals today. If you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Refined across millions of acres, TerraTrove combines microbes, plant extracts, and algae to offer the most complete biofertility solution available. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. Ashton, my quick piece of news that I wanted to share or mention right off the top here was that for our sex in the city, which we probably don't have a ton of them with our audience, but for those of you that do like sex in the city or at least know what I'm talking about, they've recently released a new series that's on HBO and you know, in the original series, Carrie Bradshaw or Sarah Jessica Parker, the kind of main actress, was a columnist. And in the latest series that just got rolled out, she's a podcaster. So that feels very 21st century. It certainly does, Delaney. And I have been watching the reboot. It's called And Just Like That, which is, I guess, a a famous phrase that Sarah Jessica Parker used back in the original series. But it made me giggle because it was her... It was the scene that made me laugh. It was her first day as a podcaster. And she was with two folks who were well-seasoned when it comes to the topics they were talking about. And I guess being on podcasts and they told Sarah Jessica Parker that she needed to talk more and dialogue more with them. And it just made me think back to my first few weeks here at Ag News Daily when I really didn't talk very much. And now I feel like I can't shut up. Well, It takes some time to learn how to be a good podcaster. It certainly does. So maybe Sarah Jessica Parker can learn a few things from her co-hosts, as I have learned with you, but we'll just continue to wait and see. Certainly will. But like I said, I'm guessing we don't have a ton of Sex and the City fans, or maybe we do. Maybe we've got some farmers that appreciate that and watch that in their free time. I don't know. But I know Blaine certainly doesn't love watching it. So I usually watch that one on my own. Well, you know, our listeners can be multifaceted, Delaney. They can be farmers, but they can also like Sex in the City. Who knows? They, that th- Absolutely. And I hope that they do. But anyways, we better hop into some news here. And unfortunately, I'm going to kick things over to a more serious note because over the weekend, Ashton, we saw a big storm cell cross through a lot of the Mid-South region of the United States, more specifically Kentucky, which was about a two-day severe weather event that produced 573 total reports of severe weather, including 64 tornadoes. A lot of it hit in a key area of the state called Mayfield, Kentucky. And, you know, DTN, I think we shared this on a couple of our social media sites as well, but DTN shared this as well today, that the Mayfield, Kentucky area had a large facility, a large grain elevator, and 
the Mayfield Grain Company that has about 750,000 bushels of storage capacity and the grains elevator buildings were completely destroyed. You know, I've also seen quite a few reports that about 30,000 homes and businesses in Kentucky remain without power here through today and Monday. Uh, I haven't seen an updated death toll or injury toll, but there are quite a few folks missing, injured, dead, pronounced dead. So just extremely, extremely hard time for a lot of those folks dealing with this right now. And first heard this on the radio this morning, but there is just a lot of homes and families and farms and all sorts of things destroyed and in shambles after this weekend's severe storms. So those people are certainly in our thoughts and prayers today, Ashton. They certainly are, Delaney. And I've seen a couple of pictures on social media just of, you know, the loss, like you were talking about the Mayfield grain, and also just livestock laying dead in fields. And I think that that is just a hard thing to see. You know, of course, you experience loss on, you know, a ranch or raising animals, but seeing, you know, multiple dead cows in a field because of a, a tornado, something that, you know, you can't control, it's not a good sight. So definitely my heart goes out to those who are hurting today. I think it's going to be some time before we really get to see the true damage, but we are hopefully going to talk a little bit more about that later this week on the podcast. But for now, I am going to stick to talking about China because I saw an interesting story come about earlier today as France signed an agreement with China, who is their main exporter of pork. And this agreement was to ensure that pork trade can continue even if an outbreak of African swine fever occurs, which made me question what exactly this agreement is going to look like, because it was also reported that this could potentially provide a blueprint for European countries that are threatened by African swine fever. Um, But Of course, we've seen multiple bans on port trade by China and other importing countries due to outbreaks of African swine fever. So I was particularly interested to see what today's agreement was really all about. So it does take effect immediately, and it would mean that China would allow pork exports from unaffected regions of France, even if African swine fever occurred elsewhere in the country. So that kind of cleared some things up for me, but I thought it was interesting to say the least, just because China has been so persistent with their African swine fever measures and what they've been doing um, with their herds. So I um, just wanted to get your thoughts on that, Delaney. Well, I think you have to take it with a grain of salt, Ashton. I would never, ever take China's reporting at its face value because they do skew numbers. They do change things to have a little market manipulation here and there. So I think you have to take those numbers with a grain of salt. You know what? That's uh, pretty much what I predicted that you'd say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, now I'm going to start sounding like a broken record to our listeners. (laughs) No, I just I think that you're right. I think that China is uh, credited with being a country that uh, we have to take things with a grain of salt because we never know what they're doing, especially with African swine fever. I feel like we've heard so many different things, but still don't know what's true or definite. Yeah, absolutely not. And, you know, another thing we don't know that's true or definite has been inflation. We're going to chat a little bit about that with Elaine here coming up, so I won't give too much away. But 
Inflation is going to be a pretty key focus this week because the Federal Reserve prepares to begin two days of meetings to reassess their monetary policy and discuss, you know, potentially raising interest rates or what their tapering schedule will look like. So hopefully we'll have some updated news on that later this week. But as you talk about inflation, obviously the grocery store is really a key area that a lot of consumers all over feel that. And grocery prices are continuing to climb to their fastest pace since 2008, with beef, pork, and poultry up nearly 13% since last November. We also saw the consumer price index showed grocery prices were up 6.4% higher than a year ago. And part of a U.S. inflation rate of 6.8% has seen the sharpest 12 months 12-month increase since June of 1982. Now, I've got to be a little bit honest, Ashton. I am the primary grocery buyer for our household, but because we get so much of our meat through lockers, where, of course, we're you know raising or buying um, beef or hogs from our neighbor and taking that to a small local plant, I don't really see this quite as much in the grocery store. And I'll also add that I'm also a very avid at Aldi's shopper and their grocery prices usually are substantially cheaper than like a mainstream grocery store. So I've not seen this in the grocery stores myself. I'm curious if you have. Honestly, I haven't been paying that much attention to it. Like you, I get a lot of our meat just from the animals that we raise back home. So I haven't seen a large impact at the grocery store. And then when I do go get groceries, you know, it's vegetables and fruits that are in season. So I try to, you know, watch those prices, but not a whole lot when it comes to inflation. Yeah. So we may not be good Uh, case examples of what other folks may be feeling and probably agriculture as a whole would be in a similar footstep where they're probably getting or raising their own meat. But mainstream consumers are definitely starting to feel the pinch. So certainly going to be a topic that we discuss. And like I said, I won't tease too much of Elaine's answer, but she's got an interesting take on it too coming up here in our market discussion. So be sure to stay tuned for that, folks. Well, Delaney, I have another confusing story coming out of China today because makers of some foreign products such as Irish whiskey, Belgian chocolate, and other European coffee brands are scrambling to comply with some new Chinese food and beverage regulations. And many of these are fearful that their goods won't be available to consumers in the Chinese market. We saw earlier this year that China's Customs Authority put out new food safety rules that stipulated that all food manufacturing, processing, and storage facilities abroad needed to be registered by the end of this year for their goods to access the market. But detailed procedures explaining how to get the required registration codes were only issued in October, while the first initial announcement was announced in April. And websites for companies to get these registration codes and allowed to self-register only went online last month. I don't know the exact rules that China has implemented. I hadn't seen those really reported, but a lot of people are confused. I don't think that um, many 
facilities or companies, whatever you want to call them, actually did this registration. And I think many of them are struggling to get things done before January 1st. So I'm not sure that you can see some of these things in the Chinese market if we have our Chinese listeners out there that are tuning in today. Yeah, we certainly have a lot of things changing and shaking and moving here before the end of the year. So it's not going to be slow, I don't think, uh, from a news front. But I have just one other quick piece of news to share here before we wrap up and chat markets. And that's just a quick update that the sign up for the DMC or Dairy Margin Coverage Program has started. That starts officially today, December 13th, and runs through February 18th of 2022, which of course enables dairy producers to get coverage through their through this safety net program. So that will be anticipated about $580 million to help small and mid-sized dairy operations. And of course, if you want to sign up, if you have questions, etc., visit your local FSA office to find out more. But with that, Ashton, I'm pretty much out of news for today. What about you? Well, I just had one more thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's not really news. It's really just here to talk about DPH Bio, who is, of course, today's podcast sponsor. So folks, if you're looking for an alternative to starter fertilizer, DPH Biologicals offers a competitive alternative for broad acre crops without sacrificing yield. Be sure to check out our interview with DPH Biologicals to learn more about their complete biofertility platform, TerraTrove. To unharness soil fertility and maximize yield, visit dphbio.com to learn more. But with that, Delaney, I'm all ready to talk markets. Fantastic. So am I, Ashton. Uh, We've had a little bit of mixed trade today in the grain markets. Uh, Soybean sell-off pretty hard with the January contract down 23 and three quarters cents, closing at 1244. The March down 23 and a half cents, closing at 1250 and three quarters. Corn made slight moves to the downside today with the March contract down five cents, closing at 585. Dece 22 down eight and a half cents, closing the day at 542 and a half. Now wheat here, I think was a little bit of a surprise after last week's not so bullish news that Russia, the US and Australia all had increased production outlooks. However, we continue to trade higher today and across all complexes. But Chicago March contract today up three and a half cents, closing at 788 and three quarters. The DEES 22 contract up three and a quarter cents, closing at 792 and a half. Hopping over into livestock today, we saw some mixed trade in the protein markets as the cattle complex finished higher, lean hogs finished lower. February live cattle up 77.5 cents, closing at 138.85. The April adding 50 cents, closing at 142.37 and a half. And in feeder cattle, as I mentioned there, the strength continued with the January contract adding 65 cents today, closing at a buck sixty-five fifty-two. The March added a dollar seventeen and a half, closing at one sixty-six forty-seven and a half. Lean hogs showed weakness today as the February contract shed twenty-seven and a half cents, closing at eighty seventy-five. The April down twelve and a half cents, closing at eighty-five dollars eighty-five cents. And in the dairy class three milk futures, January added twenty-four cents today, closing at twenty oh six. The February up nine, closing at twenty oh five. Without further ado, let's. Kick it over to our conversation with Elaine Cub. Well, as promised, we are chatting today with a voice we haven't heard on the podcast in a little while, Elaine Cub, who's been very busy working on lots of projects 
including one, Elaine, that we need to celebrate. You have had your Mastering the Grain Markets books book out for a decade. So that's one of your projects that you're going to start working on here is to get that thing revised. What, what do you think's changed that you're going to, have to change in that book? That's right. Well, so it was published in June of 2012, which, you know, in six months will be a decade amazing of my life just gone like that. Um, and I have, uh, even in the past decade, I've gone through and made changes like when they stopped trading wheat in Kansas City and all of that trading moved to Chicago, for instance, I had to update that. And um, just some various changes to contracts, the details of contracts like that. But as you know, the general mechanics of how grain is traded or how grain futures are traded in the U.S. and across the world, that's that's pretty stable. It, it doesn't change much from one year to the next or from one decade to the next or from one century to the next. So um, so it's it's still valuable information. And I just want to make sure that everything is ready for a 10th anniversary edition in 2022. Well, that will certainly be exciting. I can't wait to read it. Now, question though, for those of us who bought the old version, do we get like a discount when we buy the new version? Uh, great question. Of course, <laughs> of course you do, but I'm trying to think, I really don't think there's going to be that many changes. You know what? Um, I mean, you could, I haven't given it a lot of thought, Delaney, but I mean, I could add entire new chapters about, um, you know, blockchain or oh, climate change or something like right. that. Um, but but like I m- mentioned, the, the actual mechanics really haven't changed much. So I would imagine that from one version to the next, uh, it's not going to be a huge, a huge change. Okay. Well, that's good. That's exciting. We're proud that you are working on that stuff. Elaine, I want to talk a little bit here right off the top about some bigger picture things because we're getting close to year end. You know, of course, there's been talk now for quite some time about inflation, about food prices. We just saw the latest consumer price index come out with varying statistics and figures. But here we are, end of 2021, heading into 2022. Can you, you're really good, I think, at explaining big picture topics like inflation. Can you just give our listeners your take of where we currently sit about, sit with inflation and food prices and CPI and all that? And is that a concern heading into 2022? Yeah, um, sure. It's a concern. It's a concern for anybody who needs to eat or buy anything, right? When prices go up, we don't like it as consumers. I'll be a little bit contrarian and say that my outlook going into 2022 is that we may have seen most of the inflation already happen um, because particularly when you look at the CS CPI series, that's looking at durable goods mostly. So when people were stuck at home, couldn't go out in the pandemic and do fun things, and instead they bought gadgets and refrigerators and durable goods. And these are all stuck on these container ships at the port of Los Angeles and we're seeing this big surge in the buying of actual physical goods that happened through 2021. But once everybody, once you've bought a new refrigerator, you're not going to buy another new refrigerator in 2022. So I think after we've seen this surge, after we see this big, um, you know, snake swallowing an egg go through the port of Los Angeles and see, and we are already seeing the, the wait times for those ships to be unloaded are starting to come down. Once we see that in early 2022, I suspect that maybe the worst of the inflation rises may be behind us. But more to the point of, you know, your concern about agricultural prices, you know, meat prices were the 
biggest leader when you look at the the food price inflation the biggest ones were from meat and you know in the past couple of weeks actually we see box beef prices and wholesale beef prices have been coming down again so again i think that the the peak of the pain is probably behind us but certainly consumers are sensitive when they see ground beef at whatever it is, five bucks a pound, or depending on what kind of ground beef you're buying. Um, it's, it is a concern. There's only so far that these meat prices and to a lesser extent, cereal grain prices can continue to rise before you see pushback from the consumer. Well, you know, we've continued to see a lot of rise and fall in the markets. And we had last week's WASD report, really kind of a snoozer of a report, which is what we expected to have happen. However, I would like to point out, you know, in the wheat market, we saw production increases in both Russia, Australia, and the United States. What does that mean for the wheat complex moving forward? Is that going to really kind of put a fizzle or put a top in on these things, this rally that we've seen? I think you're right. I think that the the majority of that bullishness, you know, that, you know, when did that peak out? Maybe, um, you know, right about the end of November is when we saw some of those wheat prices hit their record highs. And this was true for European wheat prices as well as the U.S. wheat prices. And they've come down since then. And certainly those um, slightly less bullish government supply and demand tables help to remove some of that concern from that market. but. On the topic of Russian wheat production, I don't think that that's necessarily put to bed yet for 2022 because of the fertilizer situation. Mm -hmm. You know, their prices for fertilizer are certainly as high as they are here. Global prices for fertilizer everywhere are very high. And even though Russia isn't, has put restrictions on exporting their fertilizers to keep it domestically, I still suspect that Russian wheat producers are going to perhaps skimp on fertilizer applications, and this may be true in the United States as well to a lesser extent, but I think we're not going to see yields as high as they could be in 2022 simply from this widespread phenomenon of skimping on, on fertilizer applications. Yeah, I think that's interesting too. You know, we've talked a lot about acreage as we head into 2022. And I was just talking to a couple of producers last week in Wisconsin that had been pretty <laughs> thankful that they booked fertilizer ahead for 2022. And, you know, I think I've heard mixed discussions from farmers that some have booked, some haven't. But for those who have or haven't really, you know, especially those that have, it seems like they're just kind of kicking the can down to 2023 and what those potential prices look like. Are you hearing the same from producers about not maybe having as many concerns for 2022, but more so for 2023 production? Oh, see, I would be, I would feel the other way around. I think that these problems for fertilizer are backed up by the high prices for natural gas, obviously. And in the United States, we maybe wouldn't be so worried about fertilizer availability. We will have it here in the United States. Probably you you may, as a producer, want to get it booked to make sure that you're in line to get what you need this spring um, and get that prices locked in because the prices do keep on going up globally. Uh, but, but the concern is really, again, over in Russia and Europe, where the natural gas prices are so high and they've shut down production in some of their fertilizer plants simply because of the high natural gas prices. And if the natural gas prices were high just because it was a cold winter or something, you know, we we very typically see these streaks and 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 these peaks in natural gas prices that are very short-lived and then they come back down. But my understanding of Russia's natural gas play right now 
in its relationship to them potentially um, invading Ukraine or whatever sort of geopolitical thing is going on there. I mean, and I'm not certainly an expert in the politics of Ukrainian, Russian, whatever's going on there, but it, there's enough of that worry that I think we cannot confidently say that natural gas prices are going to come down anytime soon in Europe for that very reason. So I think, yeah, right now, and even going into early 2022, I have a lot of concerns about natural gas prices and fertilizer prices because of that. But by 2023, won't we have this figured out by then? I mean, it would be very unusual for natural gas prices to remain this high and not come back down at some point between now and 2023. That's just, that would be very unusual. The market is typically much more a boom and bust in, in a short-term cycles. Okay, well, that's a little bit of good news here. Bad news, Elaine, we saw soybean sell off pretty hard today on this Monday afternoon. What was going on? I think it's just the um, South American weather forecast. I think that we just saw showers in Brazil and Argentina and forecasts for showers in Brazil and Argentina. And that is enough to get a, a, a double digit sell off in soybeans. Um, there could be more that I don't know about, but that is probably enough, especially on a Monday when you're coming in and getting the new forecasts uh, for the markets to react in that way. And Alina, as we head into 2022 here, we don't have very many podcasts left this year before we flip the calendar over. But as you look ahead here for let's talk corn and soybeans specifically, what will the markets be watching as we do turn over into the new calendar year and start to think about 2022 production? Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm glad you're not here to like pinch me for saying it, but the battle for acres. I know we get tired of we're tired of saying, and I'm already starting it in December when it's really should be more of a February or March um, topic. But it is a little bit funny that in the new crop futures contracts, we really aren't seeing um, enough of the corn and the soybeans following together, or enough of soybeans making more of a push because at this point, corn looks more profitable. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we're just not seeing As you mentioned, soybeans are going down double digits today and they're not, you know, doing anything to get those acres yet, which is fine. It's December. It's not the end of the world, but you mentioned going into 2022, I would expect to start to see those markets uh, move together a little bit more predictably. Okay. And what about on the livestock side of things? We saw pretty good, gains today, especially on the feeder cattle side of things, but in the cattle complex as a whole, what's going on there? Just a little holiday excitement? Yeah. And seasonally, I think that the push for actual supplies to go into the packing houses has already come and gone. But um, these price levels are potentially sustainable into 2022, simply from a supply standpoint. You know, there's been enough herd liquidation of the actual beef herd that and enough drought stress, of course, um, that I think, you know, the producers themselves may have the upper hand in negotiations, even going into 2022. But I say that with caution, because these price levels are favorable. And it's, you know, typically, these markets never let us hold on to these favorable prices for very long. That's true. What's your outlook here heading into 2022 for the lean hog market? I, I didn't really plan this, but we're kind of doing like a year in year in review, if you will. Yeah, I, you know, got me and everybody else and you and everybody is just waiting to see if when California's Prop 12 happens, it's so unknown how much the packers themselves will be able to supply that 
Prop 12 compliant market in California, and they will be able to meet it with some cold storage with pork pork and cold storage will be available to be sold in California, you know, right away. There's still some legal things going on that from California grocers themselves that may put a stop to the Prop 12 thing. I don't know, but that's the unknown for me. When we when you start talking about 2022 lean hog prices, the unknown is, yeah, how big of a crush of supply of conventionally raised hogs might there be and when and if and how badly that might pressure domestic U.S. prices. Elaine, just one other quick thought here as we kind of wrap up markets. I kind of save this for the end because I guess I'm not entirely sure does this have any market impact, but the storms that tore through Kentucky, especially this week weekend, will they have any impact on the markets? Yeah, it was terrible. And I've seen some some pictures of um there's a there's a grain storage facility right next to that candle factory that they were showing satellite imagery of. So grain in storage looks like it was affected in these areas, but I don't know um I don't know any quantities of that, you know, if it's if it's enough to to be worried about, you know, broader market movement, but certainly local basis there and it's just an ugly situation and and you know, our hearts go out to those people. Yeah, absolutely. Devastating what it did there to, you know, cities, towns, whatever wiped out and a lot of industries impacted, including agriculture. So definitely thinking of those people, but Elaine, before we let you go, we mentioned your book, Mastering the Grain Markets, at the beginning of uh, our conversation. If folks want to check out that book or they're just really excited for you to update the book coming up, hopefully in 2022, where can they find it? Well, um, it's on Amazon uh, or any place that you want to buy a book or an ebook or an audio book. And you can also see updates on my website, which is just elainecub.com. And cub is spelled with a K. Fantastic. Well, Elaine, certainly appreciate you coming on and chatting markets with us. We've missed you. Well, it's good to be here. Thanks there to Elaine for coming on and talking markets with us on this Market Monday. Folks, we have some good episodes lined up for the rest of the week. So be sure to tune in at agnewsdaily.com so you don't miss out. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let him go.